So here we are in the chronological journey through the gospel. I, I, I emailed my son and Kevin. I always send them my message uh, every Sunday morning. And I just said, we are 16 weeks into the chronological journey through the gospel. And we're still in Mark chapter one. He packed a lot of stuff in Mark chapter one. Now, Mark didn't deal with any of the nativity. There's a lot of things that he didn't talk about. So he just jumped in with the baptism of Jesus and kind of picked up later in the timeline of Jesus. But uh, even next week, we'll still be in Mark chapter one, but we'll actually get to chapter two, I believe, next week. We're still looking at the synoptic gospels, largely Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, the theory was originally that Matthew was the first to write his gospel and Mark and Luke kind of used his gospel to formate formulate their gospel, the outline to their gospel. The newer theory now is that Mark was the first one to write the gospel and that Matthew and Luke kind of used the outline. But what we do in this, we find the synoptic gospels, they have these similarities, the accounts, as we see in our first point, we're pulling the account from Mark chapter one, but we find the same thing written for us and just slightly worded differently in Matthew and Luke's gospel. We find that same thing repeated in our second point. And then the third point, we have Mark and Luke talking about Jesus's prayer time where Matthew doesn't mention that. And then Matthew, Mark and Luke again in our fourth point. And so I think I condensed it enough that we'll actually get through the four points today. We'll see. But, uh, Last week, we left Jesus in Capernaum. This is on the north, just slightly northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, if you're in Israel. And he was there teaching in the synagogue for several Sabbaths. And he cast out a man who was demonically possessed. He made him whole. The people were already amazed at the authority of his word, according to Luke 4. 32, they said that his word was with authority. He spoke with authority. Unlike the scribes and the Pharisees of Jesus' day, who often liked to quote other people, Jesus spoke with an authority that the people um, had never heard teaching like this. And I would hope that, you know, when we hear Jesus teach, we'll think that, Pastor John, you just, you just don't even come close. I would hope that Jesus would be the very best teacher in the world. Um, of course, he created the world. He should know all about it. After seeing the de demonic man made whole, their amazement, their amazement increased. In Luke 4, 36 and 37, it said, What a word this is. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding regions. And it was because of these things, his teaching, the casting out of this demonic man, the healing of the sick, the entire region would come to know and hear about Jesus. They would come to hear Jesus and they would also come to be touched by Jesus. So today... As we continue our chronological journey through the Gospels, I titled this lesson, Lesson 16, 
praying, teaching, preaching, and healing. And we are going to see Peter's mother-in-law is healed, our first point. Many were healed, our second point. Praying in a solitary place, our third point. And then teaching, preaching, and healing. So Peter's mother-in-law is healed. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 29 through 31, it says, As soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother laid sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. So Jesus went out from the synagogue there in Capernaum. You can find the ruins of this synagogue in Capernaum today. Um, the foundation is believed to be the foundation era um, of the synagogue that Jesus ministered in. It has up in northern uh, Israel, in the Galilee, north of the Sea of Galilee, there is evidence everywhere of some volcanic eruption that had taken place because there are these huge black rocks, boulders, some real large, some smaller, just spit out all over the land up there. If somebody wants to farm, kind of like our field zone here, that it just keeps, you know, as we freeze and thaw here in northern Illinois, the stones just keep coming up through the soil. But this is all laying on top of the soil. You don't even have to search for it. It is just there. It's a very hard stone. And they took this black volcanic stone and they carved the foundation stone of the synagogue. That black stone is still visible to this day. And so they believe it is the same uh, footing of the synagogue of Jesus' day, but a latter synagogue had been built upon it. And so you have the same footing, the same outline built upon this um, synagogue that Jesus ministered in. And as soon as he came out, and so if you go to Capernaum today, it is only a tourist site today. And nobody's living there except maybe a Catholic priest because the Catholics run the property that are there. Um, and you go immediately outside, you find this eight-sided church that was built over the top of what they say was Peter's house, Peter and Andrew's home. And they built it upon a fifth century church that had sat there before. So it's modeled after this fifth century church. And it's believed to be the location of Peter and Andrew's home. Is it? I am not sure. We do know that when they came out of the synagogue, they immediately went into the house and it had to be nearby. So we know that they lived nearby. Do they have the right foundation stone? Uh, foundation of Peter's house, have no idea, but we'll find out when we get to heaven. Probably not this side of heaven, but it's pretty cool to see these things uh, there if you're able to go to Israel. So one of the questions that might be asked, Peter was married? Well, yes, it says so in the Bible. Now the Catholics, I looked at this question because they did not deny that he had been married. They tried to say by this time his wife had probably died and that he still had a mother-in-law, but his wife is no longer living, so he was technically single at this time. 
And there's something about the Catholic priesthood, if you understand that, that they are not allowed to marry to this day. So they try to justify these things. But in 1 Corinthians 9, 5, Paul is arguing about serving on the mission field. And he says, do we have no right to take take along a believing wife as do also the other apostles, the brother of the Lord and Cephas and Peter. He actually names Peter. Peter takes his wife along. Again, uh, Catholics will look at this and they'll say that what is meant by those words is a sister woman, a believing woman. Well, if you know anything about church life, that Uh, A single man and a single woman shouldn't be traveling together in ministry. That has its own issues, right? But she's a believer. Yeah, trouble can happen if you travel that way. Safer is a believing wife. And so some argue that it actually meant sister. Eldalfe is the word for sister and gune, woman or sister wife. I believe it would better be translated as a believing wife. And, you know, truly women have been an essential part of the church uh, since the formation of the Lord's church. So I believe that Peter was married. I have no reason not to believe that his wife was still living at this time. The argument is that she is never mentioned. Well, she may be referred to here in 1 Corinthians 9, 5, if you don't try to make it mean something else, like a sister woman, just like some other woman who's a believer, And I would ask Peter, why are you traveling with some other woman who's not your wife? So it has its own issues. So I'll just take it as simple as this. Yes, Peter was married. Obviously, he had a mother-in-law. And he traveled with his wife when doing missionary work. But they came to Jesus. They told Jesus at once that she was sick. What do you do when you hear that someone you love gets sick. Do you turn to Jesus as your first response or is Jesus your last resort? In James 5, 14 and 16, it says, is anyone sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray over them, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. And so we are to turn to Jesus. It's an example from my own life. It was probably a a reflex prayer that I had in uh, several years ago. Lily had an episode of transient global amnesia. And just day after Christmas, several years ago, she briefly lost memory. And it, it really affects short-term memory. So uh, she doesn't remember Christmas Day. She's seen the pictures of Christmas Day and the videos that we took with the kids opening um, their presents. But I knew something was going on. And as I figured out something was happening, I stopped momentarily. And I said, Lord Jesus, I don't know what's going on right here, but I know that I can get through it if you go with me. And then that was my prayer. I first prayed to Jesus, and then I started taking care of Lily. We got her to the hospital. We discovered uh, what was going on, but I just had to pause. I had to pray. It's like, Lord, 
go with us on this one because something is happening that I don't understand. So do you go to Jesus as your first response? It should be a reflex that we have, that we just turn to Jesus. Well, Jesus came and Luke says that he stood over her, Luke 4.39, and rebuked the fever. So Jesus spoke against the fever. Then Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us of Jesus lifting her up and immediately the fever left her. And so by the word, he rebuked the fever. By the touch of Jesus, she was completely made well. And so completely was she made well that she served them. Jesus did not say, all right, Peter's mother-in-law, whatever your name might be, I don't know her name. Just rest, take it easy for a few days. And once you get back on your feet, you can get back to your normal life. The Bible tells us that she immediately got up and began to serve others. And I think this is a great example. I mean, if we're In our life, if we're sick, we need to recover, we need to recover. But know this, that when Jesus touches our lives, when we are saved, we are to raise up to serve others. In John 8, 36, the Bible tells us, therefore, if the Son of Man sets you free, you are free indeed. And this is a a great point of the salvation that the Lord Jesus Christ offers us that it does not say, therefore, if the Son of Man partially sets you free, you'll be free indeed one day, that when Jesus does a work in your heart, he immediately sets you free. And then we should immediately then take that freedom that he has given us to serve one another. Paul would write about this in Galatians 5.13, saying, For you, brethren, having been called to liberty, Only do not use your liberty or freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So having been set free from our sins, we should serve one another. We are to be servants of Jesus Christ, serving others, whether they're believers or unbelievers, but especially within the body of Christ, we are to serve one another. So we find after that, that in Mark's account, he would use the word no doubt because he liked to use the word immediately. People came. Now it tells us from Matthew, we're looking at both Matthew and Luke's account. We could look at Mark's, but we're looking at Matthew and Luke. Beginning with Matthew, we find what happened that evening. Now, this was on a Sabbath day. And so the evening just tells us that the Sabbath now is officially over. We went to Israel and uh, we arrived in Israel on a Sabbath, on a Friday evening, made our way over to the Mediterranean Sea and uh, swam and stayed in the hotel off the Mediterranean Sea. And it was something that, so it was a Friday evening just prior to the Sabbath. And so in Israel today, very secular, and where we were staying was not far from Tel Aviv. And Tel Aviv is a really secular city. But it was right before the Sabbath. Everything was shut down on the Sabbath on that Saturday But just prior to that, it was like party time, before and after. And the kids were out in the streets that 
um, after the Sabbath. I mean, it was like two in the morning. And uh, they had, we were in November, but they had this hot season that came upon them suddenly. And they had already turned off the air conditioning in the hotel. So we had to leave the windows open just to breathe uh, in the hotel. And so it was still like two in the morning. We heard people out in the streets. It's like party time after the Sabbath. Thankfully, it was after the Sabbath, but they were coming to Jesus. And that's how it is intended to be, to come to the Lord, to take time to come to the Lord, to reflect upon Jesus. Here in Matthew 8, 16 and 17, it says, When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out spirits with the word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities, and he bore our sicknesses. So the Sabbath was over. The people had freedom to come. In fact, technically... It was uh, allowable by the, not by God's Sabbath day laws, but by the traditions that they brought around the Sabbath day laws. They said, the religious ruler said, no act of healing could be done on the Sabbath. Tough luck. If you have a major accident on the Sabbath, all they could do would be to sustain life. But they couldn't do things that would promote healing. So if you cut yourself really bad, wrap that thing up, but don't start, don't stitch it up because if you stitch it up, you might actually promote healing. So they could wrap it up, but not stitch it up. So they were free to be healed at this time. They made the Sabbath day oppressive for the people and it was never intended to be so. But they came to Jesus, and it tells us that he cast out demons with a word, speaking about Jesus' authority as the Messiah. Luke 4:36 says, They were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And I believe to this day that Jesus Christ still has authority. He still has a power the same power to speak over our lives, to do a work in our lives. Also to heal the sick. It says that Jesus healed all who were sick, fulfilling a prophecy from Isaiah 53.4. Orthodox Jews today believe that the Isaiah 53, the chapter 53 in the book of Isaiah speaks about the people of Israel. But here the gospel writers relate it to, Matthew relates it to Jesus Christ. That Isaiah 53, 4, the entire verse says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. I believe that Jesus to this day is able to heal and to save those who come to him in life-saving faith. So in Luke's account, he says it this way, Luke 4, verses 40 and 41. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuked them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. 
So once again, Jesus had authority, and it wasn't limited to just a few. You read about healing that took place in the Old Testament. It was limited to just a few. Uh, God would touch individuals with the power of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament times, but never was there anyone like Jesus, and nor should there be. Jesus, the Son of God who came to live on this earth, to walk with humanity, came to save us, to offer his life as our Savior there on the cross. His power, his authority was not limited to just a few. As many as came to him, he touched and he healed. We often limit the power of God in our lives because of our unbelief. And that could hold, even in Jesus' day, it held back the power of Christ to work in a community. In Mark 6, 5 and 6, it tells us, Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Part of the work of Christ in our lives has to do with the faith that he feeds us. The faith that we have in Jesus Christ that he can do the things that he has promised in Scripture. And I think sometimes we lack, we hinder the hand of Christ because of our own unbelief in our lives. Once again, we find Jesus rebuking, this time preventing demons from testifying of him. And this is because I believe that though the demons spoke truth concerning Jesus, as we read there in Luke 41... They knew that he was the Christ. And they truthfully said, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Though they may speak truth concerning Jesus, Satan or his demonic minions cannot be relied upon, nor should they ever be trusted. Therefore, Jesus never allowed demons to testify that he was, that he is a Messiah. It would be uh, a couple of thoughts came to mind when I was saying that, the demons, they may speak the truth concerning Jesus, but they're not to be relied upon. They're not to be trusted. And then instantly in my mind was the words, I believe, of Ronald Reagan when he says, you never want to hear when the government comes and says, we're from the government, we're here to help. (laughs) It's always a dangerous two things that don't go together very well. That you hear politicians speak and they say one thing and often they do not follow through with the things that they say. But also uh, it would be like going to seminary going to a Christian school, going to a seminary and being taught the Bible by a non-believing professor. He might be able to tell you the structure of the Greek or Hebrew language, but he has no faith in Christ. And so he would be only teaching from an intellectual aspect without the power of Christ going through. So I looked up this question on gotquestions.com and I often refer to this because I want you guys to use this as a resource. If you have biblical questions, gotquestions.org. I said com, it's .org. And this is what they had to say. The demons, fallen angels, are enemies of God, but they are defeated enemies. 
Christ has disarmed the power and authorities, has made them a, a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. As we submit to God and resist the devil, we have nothing to fear. And so I, I just want you guys to know that I strongly believe this. If Christ is in, believers cannot be possessed by a demon. They can be oppressed. Demonic forces can war against us, and we are warned of this spiritual war that takes place. But they cannot possess. First John 4.4 4 says, If you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he is he who is in the world. He who is in you, Jesus Christ, is greater than he who is in the world. And to this day, Jesus Christ is able to bear our griefs. He's able to bear, carry our sorrows. And so why not come to him with those needs that we have? Jesus Christ is able to work in our lives. Now we find after this time, and we'll look at Mark's gospel for this, Mark 1, 35 through 38, and verse 35, it tells us, In the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, Jesus went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And the first thing we notice is that Jesus, in his humanity, was a man of prayer. And the Bible tells us in Philippians 2, 7, that he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. Jesus in his humanity was a man of prayer, but he also had a very busy day of ministry just prior to that. He not only taught in the synagogue, healed the sick, cast out a demon, went to Peter and Andrew's house with John and James being with them as well, and raised up Peter's mother-in-law when she was sick, and she was able to serve them. And then that evening, when the sun set and the Sabbath was over, people came from all over and he healed them all. He cast out demons. He had an intense day of ministry. And yet, he went to a solitary place. He rose up early, long before daylight, that he could spend time with his father. And this has always intrigued me, that if Jesus found that it was so important to take this time to pray. How much more should prayer be in a priority in our own lives? The Bible tells us about Jesus being in the likeness of men. In Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted just as we are, yet without sin. So without sin, he felt hunger, he felt being tired. He felt the stress of ministry, the crowds coming upon him from all over. And yet Jesus found a solitary place to pray with his father. Clearly, Jesus loved to pray in the secret place. In Matthew 6, 6, when he teaches about prayer in Matthew 6, 6, he says, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut the door, pray to the Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. 
And again, how much more should we, as followers of Christ, have this kind of devotion uh, to prayer? And I know that that can look differently. Prayer time, you get me out on a motorcycle without Lily on the back. I don't have a radio on my motorcycle, no uh, headphones. I just listen to the wind, sing. I got a speeding ticket once, and the cop said it looked like you were singing. It's like I was. I was writing a song in my head. I was singing away. Nobody could hear me. But often praying, and I'll just start running through the list in my head and start praying, paying attention the whole time. But praying out on the open road. I love to pray out on the open road on a motorcycle. It's just that's a relaxing time for me. Maybe waking up long before morning, daylight is not your time. Maybe yours is staying up late into the night. That's not my time. I, I don't even have to set an alarm. I just wake up long before I want to usually. But I tend to wake up early in the morning. It's always been my custom. Now the disciples went out searching. Verses 36 and 37, Simon and those who were with him searched for Jesus. They found him and said, everyone is looking for you. Now I imagine the disciples, they expected to find Jesus as they awoke that morning. They expected to look over wherever they were sleeping and and see that Jesus was there, but he slipped out in the night. But the Bible tells us that Jesus actually taught us, seek and you will find. And the disciples not only sought for Jesus, they found him. The word of God tells us in Isaiah 55, 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. And so we should be those who would seek Jesus. Psalm 145:18 The Lord is near to all those who call upon him to all who call upon him in truth God is near and I ask the question are you seeking Jesus at the beginning of each day or just for one hour each week We should be seeking D- Jesus daily it may not be that you have a custom of an early morning devotion time or prayer time, but I would encourage you to get some time throughout the day ministering and waiting upon the Lord, looking at his word, praying to Jesus. In Mark 138, it says, and he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also because for this purpose I have come forth. So Jesus could have stayed in Capernaum. And the people came from all over to hear him. In Luke 4:42, it says, the people came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. He could have set up shop, and technically it was a home base of ministry, but he came forth from the prayer time and says, I have a mission. For this reason, I came forth. I have to go to the other uh, cities and other communities to preach there also. So Jesus came forth with an understanding of what the Lord would have him to do. And I believe that that's what the Lord can do during our prayer times, during the study of God's word, as he puts thoughts in our minds, as we wait upon the Lord, as we have conversation with other people and they confirm some of the things that we've been thinking about that the Lord can 
bring us out of this time of waiting upon the Lord with a purpose, a mission to do. Now the people, their motives that they had in John 6.15, we discover that they wanted to take Jesus by force and make him king. They had a whole different plan for Jesus than what Jesus had in mind for the people. They did not understand the Jesus of the first coming, the Jesus who would suffer upon the cross, offer his life upon the cross, die upon the cross, be buried and resurrect from the grave. They had no clue about the Jesus of the first coming. And when they came in John six fifteen to come and take him by force and make him by make him king the word tells us john 6:15 he departed again to the mountain by himself alone he went to a solitary place jesus's mission his purpose could have come to him at his baptism it may have come to him during his 40 days and 40 nights of fasting when he came out of the wilderness and yet his daily prayers with his father it not only refreshed him It gave him fresh insight, but also guidance for his ministry. He said, for this purpose, I came forth. My purpose is to preach the kingdom of God through all the surrounding regions of the Galilee. In Psalm 63, 1, it says, Oh God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. When the Bible talks about this type of thirst, it's talking about spiritual thirst that only Jesus Christ can satisfy. It is why Jesus said in John 7, 37 and 38, If anyone is thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow torrents of living water. Are you thirsty today? If you found that living in this world has not brought the satisfaction that you once thought it could, perhaps it's that spiritual thirst that is growing within you, knowing that only Christ can satisfy. So in my own life, I have found direction from the Lord from five basic areas, and I'm just going to summarize these. I've taught on this before. But first is through reading his word through personal devotion. Second, through hearing the word of God being proclaimed, I still listen to other preachers. I want to hear the word of God being proclaimed by others. Third, through prayer. Fourth, through meditation. Um, Lawn mowing for me can be a good prayer time too, but also a meditating time. And... uh, Sometimes when I'm out working, and usually when other people are around, it doesn't work. But when I'm just by myself working, and I start thinking, and maybe I'm done praying, and maybe God begins to kind of work some things into my mind, and I'll I'll come from that knowing what I ought to do. It's a type of meditation. You've read the word, you've heard the word of God being proclaimed, you've prayed to Jesus, and now you're taking time just to think about all these things. And as you're thinking about these things, meditating, pondering the things of God, he gives you insight and you come forth 
knowing what you ought to do. So, the five areas, reading the Word of God in personal devotion, hearing the Word of God being proclaimed, prayer, meditation, and the fifth, godly counsel. This is probably the least used by me, but there are still times when I need the godly counsel of others. I think if you kind of work the first four very well, that fifth one won't be needed as much. But even in the best of lives, we find that time where we just need the counsel of others. So those five things, they've continued to be important to me as I seek God's direction, his purpose for my life. And may we be a people who seek the Lord in prayer, who are willing to daily seek the Lord, that we might find direction and purpose for our lives. And sometimes it is in a solitary place that Jesus brings purpose to our lives. So I came forth teaching, preaching, and healing. We're going to look at Matthew 4, verses 23 through 25. You may have noticed in your notes, I underlined the first two points, and then I forgot to underline points three and four, the passage I'm focusing on. So point three was from Mark 1. If you want to underline that, you can. And point four, we're looking at Matthew 4, verses 23 through 24. Mark 1.39 and Luke 4.44 also touch on this same point. But Matthew had a little bit more to say about it. So Jesus went about all the Galilee. It'd be like saying Jesus went throughout all of Lake County, Illinois, teaching in their synagogues, So again, Jesus went out teaching in their churches, preaching the kingdom of the the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Having called at least six of his disciples at this time, we've already referenced Peter and Andrew, James and John, but also in John's gospel, we learn of Philip and Nathaniel. Jesus began Uh, a circuit ministry of preaching and teaching and healing the sick throughout the region of the Galilee. He was teaching. uh, Didaskos is the Greek word. It means to teach or to give instruction, but that uh, has this sense of a didactic discourse. And so when you're talking about a didactic discourse, it can mean teaching with a moral emphasis. Didactos is the Greek word for that. I put an S on that. It has no S. Didakos is the Greek word for that. He went about teaching, giving moral instruction, teaching the people. It's something that he promised the Holy Spirit to do in our hearts. In John 14, 26, he said, The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. So we still have God the teacher teaching in our hearts these days. Also, the preaching. Caruso is the Greek word. It means to cry out like a public crier of old. Someone to cry out a proclamation of the gospel. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. It says here in Matthew 24, 14, it says, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. Then the end will come. That 
To this day, there is teaching and there is preaching taking place within the church. He also healed those who were sick. And uh, the Greek word has, it's where we get the word therapy from. And it, it can mean to wait upon, to minister to, to take care of, tend the sick. But here, Jesus is healing the sick. And so Jesus ministered to their physical and their spiritual needs. We saw last week in Luke 4, 18, that Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. He was teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God. He was healing those who were sick. And it was giving evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. In Luke 7, 22 and 23, it says, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things that you have seen. This is talking about a time when John the Baptist is in prison. Even John the Baptist, who introduced Jesus as the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist, who baptized Jesus there in the Jordan River. While he was sitting in prison, he sent his disciples to Jesus to ask this question. Are you the one or should we look for another? While sitting in prison, John thought, maybe I got it wrong. Maybe I misread the signals from the Holy Spirit. That can happen in life when things start going against us. We might think that maybe I got it wrong. And we'll say, Jesus, are you the one? And Jesus told John the Baptist's disciples, he told them, go tell John the things that you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the leopards are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not defended, offended because of me. Go tell John the things that you see and the things that you hear. He was preaching, he was teaching, he was healing the sick. John 4.14 4 says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to the Galilee. And the news of him went out throughout all the surrounding region. Some of the Bible commentators call this time in Jesus' life the year of popularity. And right now we see that popularity is growing. People are coming from all over to be touched by and to hear Jesus. In fact, Matthew chapter 4, verses 24 and 25 says, Then his fame went throughout all, all Syria, so outside of Israel, north of Israel. And they brought to him all who were sick, who were afflicted of various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics. And he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from the Galilee, from the Decapolis, from Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. So it began with Jesus preaching and teaching about the gospel of the kingdom. He was healing the people. People began to come from five different regions, it's named here for us. They came from the Galilee, of course, where he was at, but there was also the Syria, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. He mentions, he specifies three specific disease, or the demonic influences as well. He begins with the casting out of demons. Epilepsy that's referred to here, it's probably a bad translation of this Greek word. 
But the word literally means to be moonstruck. Now, personally, I was thinking about that. And you think of somebody who has uh, seizures or something. They don't always happen. They just suddenly come upon you. And I think maybe that term moonstruck, something that doesn't always happen, but occasionally, suddenly, something comes upon someone. And they have this repeated issue. But the literal word can be moonstruck and it could be influenced by either sickness or, according to the Greek, demonic influence as well. And then um, the paralytics, those who were weak of limb. And so demonically possessed, those who had some kind of event to be moonstruck, something that came upon them suddenly but didn't happen all the time. And those who were paralyzed in some sense, they had a Uh, legs that didn't work, an arm that didn't work. Jesus touched, he healed them. In Luke 6, 19, it says, the whole multitude sought to touch Jesus for power went out from him and he healed them all. I still believe to this day that the power of Jesus is there and available to heal them all. So the five different regions, the Galilee where they were currently at, The Decapolis was on the east side of the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River. So the Jordan River flows in the north side of the Sea of Galilee, flows out of the south side of the Sea of Galilee. So uh, the Sea of Galilee is fed by the Jordan River. And the area east of that was given over to these 10 Roman cities. We saw one of the ruins of the Roman cities there in Bethshane, biblically, where Saul saw and his sons after they were beheaded and their bodies were hung in Bethshane. Uh, that became, in Jesus' day, it was a full-on Roman city that was, after the time of Christ, destroyed by an earthquake. But it had everything, Roman bathhouse, uh, temples, uh, amphitheater. It was all there. And so this whole area, they believe that there could be a population of some 100,000 people in that one area of the Decapolis alone. They came out of Syria, which was north of Israel. They came from Jerusalem, about 75 miles away. From the Judea, which was where Jerusalem was at, uh, the region that Jerusalem was in, It would be like the city of Chicago is in Cook County. And so you could say they came from Cook County and they came from Chicago. They came from Jerusalem. They came from Judea. Very similar. And beyond the Jordan speaks about there. We would probably get into technically today the area, the country of Jordan today. They were coming from all over. Why did so many people travel such great distances? Remember, they didn't have public transportation They didn't have a car. Um, Many of them had to walk. They came from 100 miles or more. Why? Because some hoped to see great things done by Jesus. Others hoped that he would do great things for them. Proverbs 8, 17 says, I love those who love me. Those who seek me diligently will find me. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. 
So in that day, there were those who traveled great distances to hear and to be touched by Jesus. Why did they do so? Because some hoped to see great things done by Jesus. Others hoped that Jesus would, be, would do great things for them. Why do you seek Jesus this day? Here in our chronological journey through the Gospels, almost made it through Mark chapter 1. Might be here a while. But today we've seen that the Lord not only touched and healed Peter's mother-in-law, that once she was healed, she immediately began serving others. Once Jesus sets us free from our sin, we should be able to serve others. After that, many people came and Jesus healed them all. It's because Jesus came that he is able to bear our griefs. He's to this day able to carry our sorrows. But even Jesus in the busyness of doing ministry, he found that solitary place that he might spend time with his father. And I would challenge us to consider that in this life, that we have those solitary places that we can retreat to, to be with God. And they came from everywhere as Jesus was preaching, teaching, healing, casting out demons. They came from all around. But why did they come? Well, some hoped that they would see Jesus do great things. Other, others hoped that Jesus would do great things for them. Why do you seek Jesus? Father, let that be just a question that lays on our hearts this day. Lord, to this day, I believe that you can do great things in us and through us, and that you can do that today. I pray, Father, that we would open our hearts to your leading. What things have you laid on our hearts? What purpose do we come forth? What ministry have you given us to do? Lord, there can be a lot of questions that we seek on a daily basis. Um, some of those questions can be, concerning just the struggles of our daily life. Some can be about illness, physical sicknesses. Some can be about the spiritual call that you place upon our hearts. I pray, Father, that you would help us, Lord, to seek you to answer those questions for us. And even this hour, Lord, as we close out in this final song, those, Lord, who perhaps just want to come and seek you by kneeling and praying here in the front of the church or coming to pray with Pastor Kevin. I pray that you would work in our midst. Even this hour, we pray in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.